0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right. Welcome this morning, and um, we're going to be looking as we go through the book of Leviticus. It's starting to get really exciting stuff, and we're going to read... uh, we're going to actually look at chapters 8, 9, and 10, but a uh, huge passage, so we're not going to read all of it. But I want to read um, kind of a little bit of the, the center of it, uh, chapter 9, verses 23 through ten-three. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow, or you can follow on the screen as we look. Uh, Leviticus nine twenty-two. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, and he had, uh, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Uh, like I said, long, long section, and so we'll, we'll get to, that's kind of towards the end of the story. Um, before we get to the passage, um, you know, we are people of, hopefully, purpose. And uh, I think in most of us, there's a sense that our life is, should have meaning and purpose and direction. And uh, I don't know if you're this way, but when I find myself in places where I'm asked to do things or, um, and, and I don't know the purpose, it kind of drives me crazy. And it reminds me one time, way back when I was in high school 100 years ago, um, I went to this seminar, some of you will recognize it. it was called the Institute in Basic Youth Conflicts. Anybody ever heard of that? Did anybody go to Institute in Basic Youth Conflicts? Because this means you're like 100 years old like me, is what that means. So this is a seminar, and it was a really big deal. I mean, it wasn't just a small seminar with like 20 people. There was thousands of people in this massive auditorium. And uh, we gathered, and the the guy was actually presenting by a video. Uh, Videos, yes, videos had been invented then. Um, And uh, so this big screen, huge screen, and it's thousands of people. And everybody's carrying around this massive, big, thick red notebook, right? And uh, he starts off, and he starts plowing through this red notebook. And there's lists, and there's charts, and there's like gazillions. Of, I think we read the whole Bible like five times over, just passage after passage. We're going through this, and I'm like, I felt like, you know, I think I missed something. Cause, uh, and I was trying to think through it, and I'm listening to and I wanted to be there. I, I, this was, uh, was this conference about how to, I thought, grow in God, or get my life more in line with God's purpose. And so I really wanted to be there, and I wanted to learn. And I wanted to hear what, what this was all about, and I was so excited, but I was like, Confused, and uh, I was like, what, what, where, "Where is this going? Like, what, what are we? What are? What's the point of all this? What are we trying to?" And the title was not helpful. Institute in basic youth conflicts, and for me, like the most basic conflict I had was like chocolate ice cream or you know, double chocolate. I mean, um, I I wasn't really in much conflict about anything. I didn't think, and so the title wasn't helpful. And this guy was just going through this material, and I was like. I couldn't, I couldn't grasp what he was saying, what it was about. So at the break, at the first break, of, after the first session, I went to the youth leader who I'd gone with this whole group of teenagers with, and I said, you know, I think I missed something. I think somewhere, you know, he explained what, what the point of all this was, and I missed it. Can you tell me, what, why, why are we? what is this all about? And the youth pastor kind of scratched his head. He said, well, I, don't, I don't know. And well, that's no help. So I thought, well, he must have missed it as well. Maybe he was, fall, you know, falling asleep. So I started asking around, asked a lot of people, what, can you tell me, I think I missed it, what, what's the point of all this? Nobody could answer. And so we went through, and the, the, the seminar was like a couple, two or three days long, you know. and so we get to the end of it, and I, I finally at the end of it figured out what it was all about. The goal and purpose was getting through that big red book. Like that was it. That was the whole point, was to get from the beginning to the end. Uh, and it was, I felt, really quite a waste of time. And not at all helpful. Um, but I find that that's really true for oftentimes how we, we, we go about our Christian life, right? We get so hung up on the, the means that we forget the end, right? And that's my title this morning, the means, of the end of the means. The end is the final destination of something. So if you're going to go on a trip, there's a lot of planning that goes into the trip and you have to pack and organize your supplies and maybe buy things and, and uh, plan and organize uh, but it's really important that you know what the destination is, right? Uh, the point is not just the planning and the packing and getting your suitcases ready. It's, it's important to know where are we going. And that's really true for all of life. But I find that oftentimes, Christians, what happens is that we get so focused on the means, the planning and the process, that we completely lose sight of where we're going. And so when we look at this, uh, this section that we're looking at today in, in Leviticus chapter 8, um, it's an exciting day because they're finally, after all this instruction, all this teaching and all this uh, explanation and all these very detailed uh, plans for the tabernacle and the tent of meeting and the worship and the offerings and the priests, it all comes together. And this is the day when, when Aaron is anointed and uh, he begins, they begin worshiping by bringing their offerings. Um, but it's really important that, that we ask uh, Aaron and the people of Israel and ourselves as we look at this, what was the point? Right? What was the end goal? Why were they doing this? Right? What was the chief end of all that uh, we could say? So um, so that's the goal. And we want to look at that. We want to try to answer that question uh, because it is important. And we will find that the, the end or the goal or purpose that they had is the exact same goal and purpose we have. Now, they had a different means but same end. Right? They went about it on a different Slightly different path, um, the same end, right? So, so, uh, so, why are we here this morning? Right? Why are you here? Why are you in church, right? Uh, what's the, what's the end of it? Well, uh, like I said, I'm not going to read it all through, but let me just highlight and uh, to really get what's happening in chapter eight of Leviticus, you need to go way back in the story, and this is actually part of a much bigger story that goes back not just to the book uh, beginning of Leviticus, but actually. All the way back into the book of Exodus, and if you have your Bible, a paper Bible, you could flip back, uh, you know, several pages uh, to like, uh, oh, about chapter uh, twenty of Exodus, and uh, we find the story. Of course, you know the story of Exodus. The people of Israel were slaves in bondage in Egypt, and they were being terribly oppressed, and and mistreated, and abused, and life for them had become. Painfully difficult and hard, and so they cried out to God in the midst of their hardship and oppression and toil, and God heard their cries, and God uh, sent Moses to rescue and deliver them, to, to call them out of their trouble. And so Moses goes, and we know Moses has this uh, massive standoff with stubborn with stubborn Pharaoh, who proves to be quite bullheaded, and uh, finally, after ten plagues and just massive. Disaster that was wreaked on the country because of Pharaoh's stubbornness. Uh, Finally, the people of Israel are set free and they leave uh, Egypt and they go out led by Moses and they meet many obstacles along the way, the Red Sea and, and no water and no food. And each step, God is protecting and providing and taking care of them. And they finally make it to Mount Sinai. So in chapter 20 of Exodus, they're at Mount Sinai. And God wants to enter into a special kind of relationship with them called a the covenant relationship. And so he calls out to the people from the top of the mountain and he invites them into this covenant relationship where he will be their God and he will live in their midst. Uh, but God proved to be a rather terrifying sight for them. And just the very voice of him calling from the mountain was so awesome and overwhelming that the people said, look, we... We don't want to do this face-to-face with God. And they sense their own sinfulness and their own unworthiness to, to be near God. And so they said, Moses, you go talk to God, and we'll let you be a mediator between us. So Moses hikes up the mountain and in chapter 20. And you can just kind of read through the chapter headings in your Bible if you, if you want. Chapter 20, they get the, the Ten Commandments, right? And then uh, God begins to give uh, and break down in detail... This code of living, and the idea was that if if God's going to live with them, if he's going to be in their midst, they need to be a people who live differently, and their lives need to adopt a lifestyle that reflects his own character. He's a holy God, so they need to become a holy people. And and so he describes what that's going to look like for them. Uh, Laws about their altars, laws about uh, their slaves, laws about how they pay back their debts, Uh, Laws about social justice and about the Sabbath and festivals and about how they're going to get this promised land. All these rules and regulations and how they're going to live there and how they're going to be a separated people. Uh, And God confirms this covenant with them. And then more laws about the sanctuary and the altar and the table and there's lampstands and there's uh, curtains and embroidery and all these pictures of this temple, which would be a dwelling place for God right in the midst of their camp. And this was really unheard of. In, in their world and in their time, gods lived far, far away. And gods really didn't care that much about human beings. They certainly had no intention to live with them. Right? But, these people, but this God, the God of Israel, wanted to be in their very midst. And so this very detailed plan for this tabernacle was given where God would live right in their midst. And they would be right there and they could come very near to the very presence of God. And of course, uh, if they were going to be that close... Um, they were sinful people, and so they needed a priest who would mediate, who would go between the people and God and represent them. And then, of course, uh, all these sacrifices, right? All these sacrifices that would make it possible for them to live in God's presence, right? So, so, so all that happens in Exodus, and finally, uh, uh, God's finished with his instructions on the mountain and uh, with Moses. And all that time, down at the bottom of the the mountain, we learned that the people were waiting. And they waited for a few hours, and Moses never came back down. So they waited a day, Moses never came down. They waited three days, still no Moses. A whole week went by, two weeks went by, three weeks went by, a whole month goes by, and still no Moses. So God and Moses were having this really in-depth conversation. And uh, the people start to think, Moses has left us. Either God took him or he decided it was a bad idea. They didn't know what happened. And so in Leviticus 32, it says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make for us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt... We don't know what happened. has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears uh, of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, uh, These are your gods of Israel who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to your God. All right, so uh, this was actually quite contrary to everything that God was explaining to Moses on the mountain. And so quickly they abandoned uh, their God, the God who redeemed and rescued them, and they crafted a, f- a counterfeit God out of gold. And they decided to turn away from the true and living God and worship this false God. And leading the charge right up in front, making the image and calling people to worship it was who? Aaron. And really, the irony in all this is while Aaron is doing this very thing, God is on the mountain explaining to Moses that he is going to appoint Aaron as high priest over the people. Right? Well, so we go forward a few chapters, and uh, uh, when. Uh, the sin is found out God sends Moses down and God says I'm going to wipe them out all of them Aaron and all the people because they are so sinful but Moses intercedes and he prays and he pleads for God to forgive and God does and he forgives them and the plans go forward they build the tabernacle and the book of Exodus ends with um, the tabernacle being set up by Moses and then we get in the first seven chapters of Leviticus we've been talking about these different offerings Then it comes to chapter 8, and it's time to anoint the high priest. And the question is, who's going to be the high priest? Surely not Aaron, right? Like maybe God could forgive his sin, but surely Aaron is not qualified to be the high priest. He led the the, the people already in the worst possible sin against God. He led them away from God. How could he possibly... Be qualified, or how could God possibly call Aaron to be the high priest? But when you turn to Leviticus chapter 8, it's amazing what uh, uh, the the words we we read there. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons and stone them to death. That's not actually what it says. It says, Take Aaron and his sons with him. And the garments, the priestly garments, and the anointing oil to anoint him, and the bowl of the sin offering, and the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread, and assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded. And, and then the rest of the chapter describes this amazing ceremony where they anoint Aaron as the high priest of the people. Right, the one who's going to be the go-between, the mediator between the people and God, is going to represent the people before this holy God, and is going to work to uh, forgive their sins and make it possible for them to be in God's presence. Right? Well, how in the world is that possible? Right? Um, surely uh, Moses heard wrong. Right? It can't. You can't mean Aaron, like the Aaron that. That led the people into idolatry, but that's exactly what God means, right? That's exactly what God means. And so the question is, how in the world? How is it possible that Aaron could be qualified to represent the people as high priest? Well, uh, if we had time to look through, and we won't, because it's just a lot of repetition of things we've already seen. But the uh, the, the the ceremony of anointing Aaron and setting him high, of, of uh, ordaining him, right, setting him aside to be high priest involved offering uh, three sacrifices. The very first one was a sin offering uh, to make purification for sins. The second one was a a burnt offering, which was also an atoning offering. And the third one was an ordination offering. And in each of those, as we looked and if you remember, we talked about the offerings where they would lay their hands on the animal who was the substitute. And by the death of that animal and by its blood, the sin was washed away. Right. So what qualified Aaron for this position? Was it because he was, had lived this sinless life, that he was this upstanding model person who, who just captured everything about a high priest? Was that why he was qualified? No. Was it because he had proven to be so devoted and faithful to God? Well, Actually, no, quite the opposite, right? He had been anything but faithful to God and anything but devoted. Was it because he was such a good person? Well, maybe in man's eyes, but certainly not in God's eyes. What qualified him to take this position, to serve in this role as priest? Well, only one thing. He was qualified by the blood. He was qualified by the blood of that animal that died in his place. And through the blood, through that offering, through the atoning substitute of that animal... Uh, he was forgiven and he was made right with God and he was thereby qualified to not just be like an average person, but even to be high priest. Right? And of course, this was something that he would have to do over and over again. right? And, and, and the, the priest, and we saw this, that the priest would have to offer these burnt offerings daily because it was through this, it was through the qualifying blood of this offering that his, his sins were dealt with and his, his life was purified and he was qualified to represent God as, as the high priest, as a holy representative of the people. Uh, this ought to be really good news for us, right? Uh, because uh, we are qualified for life with God through the blood, but not through the blood of bulls and goats, the Bible tells us, but through the blood of the ultimate lamb, Jesus uh, Revelation 1, 5 through 5-6 says this, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I love that verse, right? You know, we're we're not saved and qualified just to be God's children, and we are. Through the blood of Jesus, we become the very children of God. But we're not like some, like, stepchild that, like, God's, well, like, well, okay, you're family, but barely. (laughs) You're family, but you you don't know how close you are to not being family, right? No. Uh, His blood is so powerful and effective that we are not only family, but we are priests. Uh, The high priest, Aaron, was a -a one-of-a-kind position, uh, the most really holy office, uh, because he got to go right directly into the presence of God. The rest of the people had to sit outside the tent and watch as Aaron went inside. And Aaron got the incredible privilege of coming right into the presence of God. And that's what it means for us to be priests, right? We're saved not just kind of, but we are saved to the level of priest. We have access to the Holy God. And that is God's grace. I mean, that is God's grace. Um, so, so it wasn't because of all the good things that Aaron had done that qualified him. It wasn't because of his holy life, it was because of the blood. But being consecrated by the blood, being sanctified by the blood, didn't mean that obedience wasn't important. And it's interesting, we don't have time to read through it, but there's about 15 different times in these three chapters that it uses the word God commanded or Moses commanded or according to the command of God. Over and over and over again, God's giving very specific instructions and he expects complete obedience. Right? So grace and forgiveness means that our past is covered. Right? Our sins are washed away, or we are clean. But it doesn't mean that we can be careless about how we live our life. And if you doubt that, uh, ask Nadab and Abihu how how the whole not obeying thing went for them. It didn't really end too well. God does expect us to be obedient, not as a means of salvation, not as a means of appropriating his love and favor, but um, as his children, as priests who represent him to the world, we're to walk in obedience. We're to follow his commands and his directions and his instructions because we love him and because he saved us. All right, so that's, that's the first kind of major point. Um, uh, we, we are appointed, Aaron was appointed by grace, and so are we. And it's by the blood of Jesus that, that our life is possible with him. But then back to this idea of purpose, right? The chief end of man. Um, what is the ultimate goal of this? So chapter 8, Aaron is anointed, and part of that, they had to take seven days and, and these offerings and sacrifices, and they, they followed it all. And for seven days they remained in the in the tabernacle, night and day, and they were anointed with oil, and they were anointed with blood on their earlobe, and their thumb, and their big toe. What does that mean? Uh, sadly, today I don't have time to tell you. So, uh, you look it up. Google it. Um, chapter 9. Uh, now, when they finish his ordination, in chapter 9 it becomes... Aaron's turn now, because Moses had done this for Aaron. Moses had acted as the priest, as the intermediary, uh, making uh, atonement on the behalf of Aaron. But now Aaron gets his first day on the job. And uh, it says in chapter 9, verse 1, On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And say to the people of Israel, take a male goat for a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for a peace offering, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. Uh, So right off the bat, uh, basically Aaron gets to do four of the five possible offerings. uh, Some for himself to further... Uh, make atonement, because even though uh, he'd been consecrated and set apart for seven days, yet still, uh, part of his role was to come and enter into God's presence as a mediator. How? On the basis of his good works? On the basis of his status and role? Because he's got cool clothes now? No. Through the blood. Right? Still, it's always through the blood. Right. Through the blood, every time you come into God's presence as priest, on the basis of that blood. And so he does it for himself, and then he turns around and he does it for the people. And now he's acting as the high priest, the mediator, and he offers these offerings so that the blood would cover them so they could come into God's presence, right? So they could be there and they could worship, right? Um, uh, so, so, so we come to that question, what's the end of all this? What is the real goal and purpose in all this? Uh, and one of the problems with answering this question is, is that oftentimes when we look at the means and the end, The means is massive, and the end sometimes is short, right? So to put it in perspective, there are 27 chapters leading up to this event, right? And we're going to see what the end is, because the end happens here in just a minute, right? But the end is recorded in about three verses, right? 27 chapters, three verses, right? So oftentimes we think uh, the, the bigger something is, right, the more time it takes uh, the more extensive it is, that surely must be the main thing. And if it's only giving a passing comment, that must not be the thing, right? And so, um, so oftentimes for us, the journey becomes the big deal because the journey requires lots of work and time and effort. And it's and, and you know the, the destination is poop. You're there, right? And so uh, it would be easy for us to look at at. Um, just the, the body of evidence and say, well the, the the goal of all this was this ceremony. Like that's why they did this, because they were they needed to have this ceremony and the end goal was the ceremony. It took twenty seven chapters. Surely the ceremony must be important. Well certainly the ceremony was important and doing it properly was extremely important. But it was not the end. Right? It was a means. Right? It was a means. And we know this because later in, in Jesus' day uh, the Jews had made the ceremony the end goal, and Jesus uh, was constantly challenging and, and really criticizing them that they missed the point, right? That they had made the sacrificial worship and giving offerings the whole thing, and Jesus said, "You miss the point." And Paul, that was his main, one of his main battles with the Jewish people, he says, "You miss the goal. You miss what it's for." Right? Uh, so it's not just the ritual. They weren't offering lambs and bulls just to offer lambs and bulls. Of course, if you read it, if you've been with me through the study, you know that, well, yeah, of course, we know that they did that so that they could receive forgiveness and cleansing, right? That must be the end, right? That they did all this so that they could be clean and washed and holy and pure. And certainly, forgiveness and cleansing was extremely important. They could not enter into God and come before him without that. But that is also only a means. because so we've got to ask ourselves, why was it so important that they be clean? Why was it important that they were forgiven? Was it just so they could feel good about themselves and go away thinking, man, I'm clean now? And certainly that's a great benefit. right? And we all, I hope you've experienced that kind of release from sin. And it is for us in many ways an end. It's a goal. But is it the ultimate goal? Is it the ultimate reason why cleansing has been made available so that we can feel good? Actually, no. There's more. Um, We are cleansed for a purpose. We are washed for a purpose. So what's the purpose? Uh, Maybe you remember back to the story of Saul in the Old Testament. Uh, King of Israel. uh, Not a very good king. First king, but not a good one. And uh, he misunderstood the goal, right? And one day they were preparing for battle. And before going into battle, uh, he needed to make an offering to God to pray and to ask for God's help. And to do that by giving an, an offering. And uh, Samuel, the prophet, had said, I will come and I will, I will make that offering. You wait for me. So Saul waited and waited and waited. And Samuel didn't show up when he thought he should. Saul took the initiative to make that offering himself. Instead of waiting. And Samuel shows up and uh, criticizes him because he didn't follow directions. And God says through Samuel, to obey is better than sacrifice. Right? God demands a heart of obedience. So maybe we would say, well, the point of all this is to just demonstrate their obedience. And certainly, there are a, a lot of hoops to jump through. And if God wanted to test their obedience, this is a great way to do it to make sure they were paying attention and following directions. But again, we have to ask the question, uh, to what end? Right? Were they obeying just to obey? Was that the whole point, just to see if they were obedient? Or was there some greater purpose? Well, the Bible tells us that there was a much greater purpose. And it says it right in this passage, in, in uh, Leviticus uh, chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, and actually, actually, God had, had explained this all the way back in Exodus, but we won't look at that one. We'll look at the verses right here. 9, 6, and 7 says this. And Moses said, This is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Right? There's our purpose statement. So that. Every time you see in the Bible a that or a so that, there's a purpose statement. Right? All this. All this was about that one little phrase. So that the glory of God may appear to you. That is the chief end, right? That's what this was all about. God wanted to live in the middle of them. And God doesn't come uh, in small ways, right? When he comes, he comes in glory. He's a holy, glorious, awesome God. And when he shows up, He comes in glory. Uh, Then he says, so so that was the purpose. And then in verse 22, we read this, but let me read it again. Uh, So uh, Aaron offers the appropriate offerings and sacrifices. He follows all the directions and commands perfectly. He does everything God said. And then at the end, it says, then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and he blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he and Moses, uh, Moses and Aaron, went into the tent of meeting. Uh, and presumably, while they were in there, doesn't say, but presumably they went in there to pray. And they met with God. And when they came out, they blessed the people again. And what happened? And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Now, unfortunately, it doesn't say what that looked like. I would love to know what that meant. But somehow, God showed up in a way that was visible And that they experienced tangibly that God didn't. It wasn't just like a little whisper. I mean, God showed up in in a way that was unmistakable. His glory was present with them, right? And so awesome was it that that as the glory appeared, it says, "And fire came out from before the Lord, and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar." Right. So God shows up and. I don't know how it happened, but fire fell or fire came or there was a lightning bolt or something. I don't know. There was fireworks. And poof, the whole offering is is vaporized instantly. It had been on there burning. And of course, it takes a while if you've ever, if you've ever burned your dinner. You know, it doesn't happen instantly. You have to ignore it for a while, right? And uh, But this was instant. Vaporized, gone. Uh, and, and, and then it says, and the people, uh, when the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. They shouted and fell on their faces. And the shout was probably one of like, Whoa, dude. <laughs> like, wow. That was awesome. And they fell on their faces and they worshipped God. They worshipped God. because they And they didn't just worship God because they knew they were supposed to. Like when God shows up like that, you worship Him because it's awesome. It's awesome. And you're like, wow, I just met the God who created the universe and He made me and He showed Himself to me. And God is a God whose beauty beyond description and whose power beyond comprehension, who's infinite in His being and good in all His ways. To meet Him like that, I mean, that is the best thing that can ever happen to you. And the cool thing is that's what this was all about. Twenty-seven chapters so that this one thing could happen. So God could appear in his glory. Right. Um, I think it's extremely important that we, we understand this purpose. And, and I would just challenge us that I think oftentimes we don't. Uh, maybe we think we do, but I think oftentimes uh, we misunderstand the true chief end. One of my favorite examples of this, and I think I've used this before, so I'm sorry for a a rerun, but uh, Kodak Film Company, back in the 70s and and 80s and before, uh, monopolized in the West, anyway, I think around the world, monopolized uh, the photography industry. They were the main producer of photographic film, whether it's slide or print film or whatever, and paper, photographic paper. If you got pictures developed back in the dark ages when I lived, um, and you did that, Um, It was on Kodak. It was on Kodak film, it was on Kodak paper, because that's just basically all there was. Uh, Do you know who invented digital technology, digital photos? Kodak, right? Kodak actually invented digital technology about 10 years before it even became popular. But you know what happened when the research and development team presented this new technology? we, We created a way to make pictures without paper or film. You know what the Kodak executive said? That's the dumbest thing ever. Why would you do that? And they decided they decided that that would ruin their business because their business was making film, right? And they saw that if digital photography comes along, they're going to go out of business because nobody's going to buy film. So they decided we're going to we're going to we're going to put this in a closet. We're going to hide the secret because our mission is making film. But, you know, and I think it's really, it almost, it almost sunk the company, right? Because uh, eventually somebody else figured out how to make digital photographs. And now, uh, you know, you take out your phone, we take a picture. We don't use paper or film, right? And so Kodak is no longer selling film or paper. Um, and, you know, their downfall was they really didn't understand the end, right? Film was a means to an end. The end is what? Recording photographic memories. Recording memories, right? Not film. Film's just a means to the end. But they didn't get it, right? But I think that's true for a lot of times how we as Christians operate. We get so focused on the means that we lose sight of the end. Here's some examples. And, and you know, I'm going to make people mad here because that's my job. Um, I hear this often, I but I just heard this this week. And some of you said this, and some of you believe this. And I know you're going to just go off, and afterwards you're going to come up and tell me I'm a heretic. But um, how many of you ever heard this? The goal, and mission of the church is to make disciples. You heard that? How many of you said it? Don't raise your hand because you'll convict yourself here. Make disciples that make disciples. All right? That's the mission of the church. Is that the chief end of the church? Really? My favorite one is this, make disciples that make disciples. Now, here's how nonsensical that statement is. How many of you would say, I'm going to write computer software to make computer software that makes computer software that makes computer software? What does that mean? Well, it means you don't have a clue what you're doing, right? And it means you have no purpose. I'm going to bake cookies that bake cookies that bake cookies? Like, why? Why are you baking cookies in the first place that multiply themselves? Um, Well, you make cookies to eat them. Not to make more cookies, right? I get it. and You all come up to say afterwards and say, oh, yeah, yeah, "Well, uh, you know, it's all about multiplication." That's right. Okay, multiplication is a means, and it's an important means. The church grows by multiplying. But what is a disciple? Is a disciple a disciple simply who just somebody who can simply copy himself? What is he that he's copying? Right? What is his goal? Uh, a, 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 a disciple is ultimately what? A follower of Jesus. But if we're following Jesus, it implies that he's going somewhere. Where is he going? That you're following him, right? Um, a disciple is somebody who follows Jesus to the goal. What's the goal? It is not making disciples. Making disciples is a vital and crucial means to the end. Uh, I'm a part of Acts 29, and their motto, their motto is even better. We're planting churches that plant churches. Again, cyclical argument that's meaningless and senseless, right? What is the goal of the church? Just to make more churches, right? Um, Well, lots of things multiply, but it doesn't mean they're good or that they fulfill a purpose. Bunnies multiply, but if you don't eat them, they have no real purpose, right? And if you have them, they're too cute to eat. So what's the purpose of bunnies? Bunnies. I don't know, right? Plain of churches, church. what's the purpose? What is the chief end of the church? Why are we here this morning? Are we here just to multiply more of us? Uh, certainly that's a means, right? That's something that, that, that sees the church spread and grow. But to what end? Right, to what end and what purpose? Well, I would argue the answer is right here in this passage. That the glory of God would, should, would come, would show up. Why do we gather this morning? Is it just to sing songs and just to be here to hear a sermon and learn stuff about the Bible? I had somebody a few months back tell me they didn't like my preaching because they never learned anything new. Right? They already and this person who's super intelligent knows the Bible. And I grant, most of, many of you know the Bible better than me as well. Right? And if my goal is to teach you something you don't know then I'm going to have to start digging up really trivial, irrelevant facts. See, I, sh- I told you something you don't know, right? But is that why we're here, just to gain uh, information and knowledge? Or is there some greater purpose? My purpose is not to give you information. We've got Google for that, right? You don't need me. My goal is what? It's to pull back the, the curtain of the temple and get a glimpse of the glory of God. I'm a human being, and I feel like I fail that week after week after week. Like, how do I do that? But God, through His Spirit, wants to do that. The goal of our life is that we encounter and experience the presence and glory of God in a real and tangible way. And how does He do that for us? You know, Well, unfortunately, I don't see Him showing up in flashes of lightning burning off my cell phone that's recording away there or whatever. Um, but God wants to show up, and I think Sunday after Sunday He does. And for people who are tuned in and who know that's the goal, I think they sense, wow, God did meet us. Right? We encountered his presence and his glory. That's true not only in church, but I believe it's what God wants to do in our own life. Day by day, he wants to live in our midst and he wants us to know that he's real and he is close and he's present and he's with us. That we might shout hallelujah and fall down on our face and worship him. Right? Not because it's something we're supposed to do, but because we have encountered and experienced him. Uh, one last thought, and let's tie this up with the, um, the sad and tragic story of Nadab and Abihu, who become a great object lesson at this very principle. Right? And they really kind of prove the point that this is the end, chief ending goal. Uh, now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer, and put fire in it, and laid incense on it, and offered unauthorized or strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Key words there. Right? Um, throughout this chapter, as I said, these three chapters, over and over and over again, God commanded, God said, God told them, Moses said, do this. Right. Then Ad- and Adab and Abihu come along, and they got their own idea. And I think uh, one, of, one of their first faults is that they misunderstood the end goal. They thought that the, the goal, the means, was the, the goal. And the, they thought that the ceremony was what mattered. And they got to talking and they think, you know, I think we could spruce this up. Because this is kind of boring. And I think we could add some, we could add some cool elements to the ceremony. Let's get a little dish and put some hot coals in it, put some incense on it, and we'll go in there before God's presence and we'll, we'll add to the ceremony and it'll be better. Right? And it's very likely that they got this idea from what they had seen in the, the pagan worship in Egypt. This is what they did and it worked for them. Uh, surely God must like it. It's kind of the cool, it's, it's, it's the cool thing to do. It's how people everywhere worship God. And so they went in with their cool idea, and they were going to impress God with their their ceremony. Uh, was God impressed? Apparently not, right? because the same fire came out and took their life, and God did not accept their gift. And uh, this whole we could preach a whole sermon on what went wrong there. I think the bottom line is this: uh, the only way God prescribed. For them to come into his presence and experience his glory was how? Through the blood. Through the blood. Not through ceremony. Not through their own inventiveness. Not on the basis of their own thinking or idea of what they thought God would be impressed with. They were to follow the commands and they were to enter through the blood. But they came on the basis of their own idea. And it didn't work, right? And 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 uh, Moses says after this tragic event, and you know, one minute they're praising God, and the next minute this this huge tragic tragedy, as, as these two young men uh, are lying there lifeless, right? And I'm sure there was a stunned silence over the crowd, and, and Moses, by God's wisdom and direction, said. To Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, among those who come into my presence, um, I will be sanctified. In other words, I will be made holy, I will be held in greatest honor and holiness. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And it wasn't that you know. It's easy to read this and think that God was just up there waiting for somebody to mess up, like just one wrong move, and I'm going to show them. Okay, that's not not how it worked. We said before God is a holy God. It's his it's his very nature, and the best image of that is light. And when light comes into a room that's dark, and you flip the switch and you turn the light on, uh, there's no as my friend Sean said, there's no there's no battle, right? The light wins, right? The light destroys the darkness. And the same thing was true here. God is light, and when darkness comes in, it's destroyed, right? It can't be in God's presence. It wasn't that God hated them or that God uh, was angry at them. It's just the reality. God's a holy God. When you come into his presence and you come not through the blood, there are consequences, right? And there was for them. Um, he says, I... I my glory if my glory is going to be in your midst uh, if you're going to come near to me you've got to do it as I've laid out because uh, this is how I'm going to protect you and and hold you where we can have this relationship where I can display my glory to you and you can enjoy it Old catechism said what is the chief end of man it is to what to glorify God and Enjoy Him forever. Right? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's that's what God calls us to. Uh, but He does it through the blood of Jesus. right? And our goal is not to be creative. Our goal is not to get focused so much on the means that we lose sight of this incredible gift of the very presence of God in our life. Um, made possible through the amazing sacrifice of Jesus, who was our substitute in our place. Um, And we have cleansing and forgiveness. But not just so we can be clean, not just so we can be obedient, but so we can experience and know God. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand.